Greetings in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word. Give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink uh, the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this series of sermons on the disciples, we've dealt with Peter and John, and now I want to take up James, the third member of that inner circle that surrounded Jesus. James was the older brother of John. His father was Zebedee, the owner of a prosperous fishing business. And it was while he and his brother were fishing that Jesus first called him to be a disciple. There are four persons in the New Testament named James, which makes it hard to keep them all straight. In fact, there was another James among the twelve, James the son of Alphaeus, of whom we know very little about. It's important to note that the James that is the subject of my message today is not the author of the New Testament letter of James. That was the work of James, the brother of Jesus. All that we know of James, the son of Zebedee, comes from the Gospels. Like John, James is not portrayed in a very flattering light. He seems to have shared his brother's bad temper. He too was nicknamed Son of Thunder by Jesus. We surmise that he too had a stormy personality. As we saw in last week's message, when the Samaritans refused to extend hospitality to Jesus, it was both James and John who wanted to call down fire from heaven and wipe those people off the face of the earth. But beyond his temper, James was a man who was extremely ambitious. We read how James, along with John, came to Jesus and asked him for the chief seats in his coming kingdom. James wanted to be the Prime Minister or the Secretary of State. Maybe, maybe he thought he deserved a chief seat because he was part of the disciples' leadership team, you know, one of the chosen three, and that went to his head. Or maybe he thought he should receive special recognition because he felt spiritually superior to others. But whatever the reason for his request, James was ambitious. He wanted first place in an earthly kingdom. But I got to thinking, is, is ambition a bad thing? Without ambition, little would be accomplished in life. Who doesn't want to better themselves and improve their station in life? Who doesn't want to be successful and extend the reach of one's influence upon others in a positive way? 
Valen and I watched Hamilton the other day, the, the theater movie production, a show I recommend you see if you have access to Disney's streaming channel. Uh, it, it actually has a lot of gospel in it, dealing with themes of faith and forgiveness and redemption. It's a story of a man who wanted to make his mark in life. Alexander Hamilton was extremely ambitious. Orphaned early, he immigrated from the British West Indies to the British colonies in America, and he rose to the highest echelons of power. He became George Washington's personal secretary during the Revolutionary War, and afterwards he helped ratify the U.S. Constitution and was highly involved in the formation of our country's financial system. But in the play, a young Alexander Hamilton first comes on the scene at the age of 19 and raps, I'm not throwing away my shot, not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. He knows his moment has arrived and that he will play an important role in the revolution to come. Don't be shocked when your history book mentions me. I'll lay down my life if it sets us free. Eventually, you'll see my ascendancy. And here's a fellow who wants to do something significant with his life, and he doesn't want to waste the opportunities before him. He will do anything to rise up to a position of power and influence. And in his case, the whole country benefited from Hamilton's ambition. But at the same time, we see in the course of the play that when his ambition became too me-oriented, there were negative consequences. His ambition caused him to neglect his wife and family, and his selfish pride, his lack of humility, led him to make foolish choices. Chief among them was dueling Aaron Burr, which cost him his life. So is ambition a bad thing? Not necessarily. Not if it means bettering yourself in life. Not, not if you are ambitious for the right things. None other than the Apostle Paul was extremely ambitious in wanting to be used by God to extend God's kingdom rule over human hearts. With it, all God's people were so ambitious in seeking first God's kingdom. Whatever you do in word or deed, says Paul, do it all to the glory of God. We should certainly be pursuing excellence, becoming all that, that God has created us to be. But ambition, like so many things, can so easily be tainted by selfish pride and by wrong motives. When you and I seek power, prestige, and status for their own sake, elevating ourselves at the expense of others, when we put ourselves on a pedestal and say, look at how great and how important I am, then we set ourselves up for a fall. When James came to Jesus asking for a chief seat in the kingdom, his motives were not pure. That's the implication of Jesus' response to him. Jesus was becoming quite popular. He could easily attract a crowd. And being in Jesus' inner circle, we can imagine James thinking that it wouldn't be long before Jesus set up his earthly kingdom. Of course, James at this point misread Jesus' intentions. As a commoner, a fisherman, who was used to be being pushed around by an occupying power by the Romans, he, he must have relished the thought of the tables being turned. Wouldn't it be nice to order other people around for a change, to get what you want when you want it, to have servants at your beck and call and enjoy the good life? So James, together with John, we can't let him off the hook, gathered up their courage and they came up to Jesus and presented their request for the top spots in the kingdom. And what's surprising is that Jesus didn't scold them, as you might expect. But he asked them whether he would be able to drink, whether they would be able to drink from the same cup from which he himself had to drink. Well, James and John didn't understand at all what he meant. And perhaps we would wonder ourselves, what is the cup 
that Jesus was talking about? Well, it's the cup of hardship, the, the cup of struggle, the, the cup of trial and tribulation, the cup of suffering. So Jesus was saying to James and John, so you want, want, you want to be counted great in the kingdom? So you want to be assured of an honored seat? Then are you willing to face trouble and hardship and heartache for my sake? Are you willing to bear your own cross and follow me? No one receives an honored place in my kingdom who does not follow me and participates in my mission. And still not uh, fully grasping the implications of what Jesus was saying, they replied, well, yes, Lord, we're willing to drink from that same cup. And Jesus, knowing what the future held, said, well, yes, you will indeed know trouble and suffering because you will follow me. You will drink from that cup. But it's not for me to assign places of honor in the kingdom. And that would have been the end of the conversation, except for the fact that the other disciples heard about the request of Jesus, and they all began to shout at James and John because they had the gall to ask such a thing of Jesus. Who are you to ask for the chief seats of the kingdom? Who do you think you are? Better than the rest of us? Needless to say, they were outraged and indignant, and if Jesus hadn't been there, they may very well have laid hands on them. They were jealous. More specifically, they were ambitious too. Only they didn't have the courage of James and John to ask for honored places. And again, we see the disciples' halos slipping. We thought they were such saints, these twelve. We thought them such heroes, and now of all things they resemble us. They can be selfish and jealous and ambitious too. So Jesus sat them down and gave them all a lesson. Look, he said, you're all hungry for power and prestige and status. You all want to be thought of as great people, people able to command others, telling others what to do. You want to impress others with your authority and position. But can't you see? You're no different than the world around you. You're no different than the Romans. If you want to follow me, you've got to change your way of thinking. If you want to be great in my kingdom, then you've got to be a servant. You've got to stop your self-seeking ways and begin to seek the good of others. It's fine to be ambitious, but be ambitious in your service to others. Be ambitious for me and for my kingdom. That's the way to greatness. In my kingdom, the greater the service, the greater the honor. So you see, Jesus turns the world's values around. The world may assess our greatness by the number of people whom we control, or who are at our beck and call, or by our intellectual standing, and our, uh, our academic eminence, or by the number of corporate boards of which we are a member, or by the size of our bank balance and material possessions which we have amassed. But in the assessment of Jesus Christ, all of these things are irrelevant. For him, the thing that matters is how many people have we served. And that really gets us wondering, just what are our ambitions? What are we striving for in life? Are you and I after power, wealth, and status? Is that what we most value in life, making a good impression on, other, on others, showing off? Or, or do you and I really care about people and therefore are striving to be better servants? Are we following the ways of the world or are we following Jesus Christ? Jesus' words began to sink in, but what was most persuasive to the disciples was Jesus' own example. For they knew that he indeed had come not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. His powers were such that he could have lived a royal life. He could have lived in the lap of luxury, but, but Jesus had a completely different ambition. He made himself the slave of all, giving his all, even his own life, so, so that others might be served in love. He occupied not a throne, but a cross. His body was broken and his blood was shed for you and me. Well, you're probably wondering, did, did James change? Well, he did indeed, as did all the disciples. From then on, they made it their ambition to serve others. They became servants after the example of their Lord. After the crucifixion, James was said to carry the gospel to Spain. To this day, James is the patron saint of that country. And then upon returning from his travels, James was betrayed into the hands of King Herod and was beheaded. He has the distinction of being the first of the disciples to die for his faith and was the second martyr of the church after the deacon Stephen. James, the son of Zebedee, is the only apostle whose martyrdom is recorded in the New Testament. Acts 12, verse 2. And according to Spanish tradition, his body was taken to Santiago de Compostela, where his shrine attracts pilgrims from all over the world. James died seeking the good of others. He died a servant of Jesus Christ. We may not all be called to die for our faith and our service on behalf of others may not be so dramatic, but you and I can still aspire to the role of servant of the kingdom. We can serve by listening to others. We can serve by encouraging others to use their gifts and talents. We can serve by treating others with simple uh, kindness and, and offer hospitality, respecting others. There's a lot, an awful lot of self-seeking in our world today. The focus is on looking out for oneself and getting what one can. But it's only in giving that we receive. May you and I not so much be, be wanting to be served as to serve. May that be our ambition and our goal. I want to close with an old French story. One day the king's best personal servant was walking in a dense forest near the palace. And there he stumbled and fell down a hill. He awakened, looked around, and found at his feet the proverbial magic cup, which when rubbed released, of course, a genie. And the genie said, your finding this cup was no accident. You've worked hard all your life, so you may receive one wish, but make it carefully because you can only have one. So the man thought about it and replied, well, all my life, I have been in positions requiring that I serve others. In fact, I'm known as the servant of the kingdom. In the future, I want people to wait on me and serve me. Yes, that's it. I want the tables turned. I want servants to do everything for me. Sure enough, when the man returned to the castle, the door was open for him. His food was cooked, his meals were served, his dishes washed, his clothes cared for by others. He wasn't allowed to perform his usual work. Everything was done for him. For the first month, the newness of the experience amused him. The second month, it became rather irritating. But during the third month, it became unbearable. 
So the man returned to the forest and searched until he found the genie again. He said, I've discovered that having people wait on me isn't as pleasant as I'd thought. I'd like to return to my original station and once again be the servant of the kingdom. And the genie said, well, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. I, I had the power to grant only one wish. But you don't understand. I want to serve people. I found it far more rewarding to do things for others than to have all those things done for me. But the genie just shook his head. But you, you must help me. I'd rather be in hell than not be able to serve others. And the genie said sorrowfully, well, where do you think you've been, my friend, for the last 90 days? Well, it's much better to be a servant, isn't it? So let us aspire to the, the true greatness that comes from doing for others, after the example of one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen.